I'll just like to encourage you, let's greet one another, find someone near to you that you don't know or you do know, say good morning. Good morning, everyone. I'm going to pull you back in. I love the greetings. I love the conversations. I love y'all connecting. But now I love for you to listen to me. No, I'm just kidding. No. Uh, welcome, everybody. So glad you're here uh, to join us this morning for worship and just a celebration and, and uh, yeah, the worship of our, of our Lord here today. My name's Sam Crager. I'm the outreach pastor here at Faith. It's great to, to see y'all here this morning. Um, if you'll notice in the back of, a, of the chairs around you in the, in the little, uh, in the, in the little what are they, shelves, whatever, uh, you'll see uh, little cards called connection cards. Uh, they're a great way to get connected to the church. So if you're new here, we'd love for you to fill that out. Let us know that you're here. If you have any questions or anything you want to know about the church, you can write it in the little box that's in that card. And then there are boxes attached to the sound booth on your way out. You can put those connection cards in those boxes at the end of the service as you, as you leave. Uh, but the connection cards are also great ways to, for anyone to fill out prayer requests. If you'd like the, the pastoral staff or the, the prayer team to be praying, for you. We'd love for you to fill those out and put it in there. You can sign up for the e-blast. You can uh, make a note about something you want to know about the church. It's just a great way to, to reach out. Let us know, hey, I've got some questions or I'd love to get connected and we will be sure to reach out and connect with you uh, shortly. Uh, shortly after into this week. Uh, just as a reminder this morning, you might look around and notice we've got some kiddos with us here in our worship center, which we love. Um, every once in a while, we give our NextGen team, our fabulous, wonderful NextGen team that runs all of our kids' services, uh, a Sunday off to rest and recover, and that is this Sunday. And so we've got kiddos of all ages in here this morning, uh, parents, uh, grandparents, caretakers. We love that your kids are here. We have a lot of grace for you this morning. If they talk, if they make noise, if they cry, if they bang their it's all okay. My kid's in the back, and she's definitely going to do that through this service. And so uh, so please understand that it's all right. Uh, but also remember that if you do feel like you need to step out with your kid at one point, uh, the service is on the TV in the hallway, and it's also on the TV in the library. So you can still step out and continue to watch and, and follow along with us, even if, you're, even if your kid ne- needs a moment to, to kind of recover themselves and continue on in service here. Um, also wanted to make sure that we, we mentioned um, down in the venue, so in the room at the far north end of the building here, uh, we have set aside that space this morning uh, for a space for prayer and lament. Um, and this space is set aside just in response and in reflection of all that we've seen in the past few weeks with gun violence and, and the school shooting in Texas, uh, and just wanting to have a space where we can invite everyone to respond in a way that seems uh, seems right for them in seeking out the Lord and seeking him in prayer. Um, sometimes we pray here from, from the pulpit for these sort of events, but th- this morning we wanted to let you all have your own space and you can engage that in whatever way seems best to you. Uh, 
uh, you can spend 30 seconds down there, you can spend 30 minutes down there, whatever uh, whatever feels right and feels good for you. There's a guide down there to help uh, kind of help guide you into prayers or, or kind of get you started. Uh, there will be an elder down there uh, that you can engage with in prayer too if that's something that you might need. Uh, but again, that space is set aside for us to just spend some time in, in prayer and lament and, and just ca- crying out to God for for the violence, for the, for the, the just brokenhearted things we've seen in our country over these past few weeks. So if that's something that would serve you and bless you, please feel free to go down uh, to go down there. Uh, well, this morning, uh, we are taking a break from our summer series on Colossians, and instead we are welcoming uh, Colby uh, Kinzer to, uh, to preach for us this morning. And Colby is our uh, the Evangelical Free Church's Midwest District. He's our district superintendent. Uh, and there's some more information about Colby in the bulletin. There's some, some bio information there that you can get to know him a little better. Uh, but basically, who Colby is to us is he's just a great blessing to our church and other churches throughout the Midwest. Um, he helps us kind of capture our vision and, and pursue it, gives us some guidance in, in that arena, for, for what we want to do in, in making disciples who love Jesus and, and, uh, and love God, love their neighbors and, uh, and each other as well. And so Colby uh, will be bringing us the word of God this morning from Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 uh, through chapter 2, verses 11. And so we're excited to, uh, to welcome Colby here today. And I will actually read, to, to get us started, I will read Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 through chapter 2, verse 11. And so this is the word of the Lord uh, from the Apostle Paul in the letter of of the Philippians. It says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves." Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. I, I love that the kids are here and the students. I absolutely love that. I love the noise. I love the, the clamor. So Sam, if I feel like I need to step out and do the service, I go where? <laughs> okay, thank you. First of all, thank you for letting Pastor Steve and his wife have a sabbatical. 
I appreciate that more than you realize. Not all of our churches in our district do that, and so I am so grateful to you that, that you let him do that. Uh, the argument I make, especially to the, the farming communities, is it's like when farmers used to let their ground go fallow for a season. They wouldn't, they wouldn't cultivate that field for that season for three reasons. One was to give the field some rest. Two was to add nutrients back into the soil. And three was to remove toxins out of the soil. And that's exactly what you're doing for Steve and his wife, is giving them rest, nutrition, and then just remove the toxins that, that kind of build up in doing pastoral ministry. So I am grateful to you that you are doing this. Just a little bit about myself. There's a, a weird kind of a Darth Vader-ish thing going on over here. <laughs> All right. Just a little bit about me, because you don't know me that well. I, I know some of you, very few of you. Uh, my wife, Lynn, she could not be here. We live in Overland Park, and we've been there for now, gosh, 12 years. That's the longest we've been anywhere in our lives. We have no kids of our own, but we are unofficially parents of three Kenyan sisters who now live in the U.S. Two are still in school, and one just got her master's and moved to Phoenix. And so we get to be mom and dad when they're in the U.S., and then bio mom and dad or mom and dad when they're back in Kenya. So that's about us a little bit. My first career was in software and did that for about 15 years and decided to take some seminary classes. And then God said, oh, the reason I had you take seminary classes is a career change. And so I've been pastoring now for about 20 years and stepped down from that a year plus ago to step into this position, the district superintendent for the Free Church. Let me explain what that means because it's no one really knows. So first of all, you are part of the Evangelical Free Church of America, which technically is a denomination, but functions more like an association. We believe very strongly in the autonomy of the local church. You make your own decisions, you call your own pastors, and we come alongside to help you network. So let's get that slide up there. Let's, next one, please. There are about 1,600 churches in the Free Church in the U.S. We have 17 districts, and so 17 offices like mine. Our district we'll talk about in just a second, but it's Nebraska and Kansas and KC Metro is our district. And we, uh, HQ in Minneapolis, we exist to glorify God by multiplying transformational churches among all people. That's why the free church exists. We've always, always, always had this, this missional posture towards the world. Now our district, let me introduce to you our district just a little bit. Let's go to that next slide, thank you. Kind of a map there. We have about 100 congregations, a little bit more than that, in this district of Kansas and Nebraska. And I've got a board of 10 men, and I've got a team of seven total. And these guys I'll introduce you to in just a second. But we, we collectively serve churches. These guys are full-time pastors, and then they give some of their time to the district. I'm full-time. Um, and let's go next slide, please. The picture of, of who we are. This is the team. I don't expect you to read all of that, but just know there are several people who are willing to serve churches throughout our district, whether it's worship ministry or missions ministry or the credentialing side for your pastoral staff, uh, all people's ministry. We have various ways we can come alongside you, equip, network, um, connect you with people who can take you further in the mission that you have which then births our statement for our team. And again, this is a long one. Don't ever do a mission statement this long, but we needed to. The first part is what our vision is as a team. Our vision is for multiplying disciple-making congregations among all people. 
And I say congregations instead of churches because going forward, we need new creativity on how to multiply the church. And sometimes it's not church planting. Sometimes it's congregation multiplying. But then we can't foist our vision onto any church because we have no authority. We are servants. And so we delight in serving our churches to discover and pursue their vision that God's given them, but then help them to be better together as a network of churches. And so that's what we get to do. We jokingly say my job is like a bishop without the authority and respect. That's pretty much what it is. But I'm happy to serve you this morning, and we're going to be in God's Word together, Philippians chapter 1. Uh, it has just been read, and I appreciate that. And my bookmark is in Jeremiah for some reason. So let's not do Jeremiah. I'm not ready for Jeremiah just yet. And would you pray with me? Father, there are times in our lives when we open up your word and we just tremble. And there are times when we open it up and it's, it's so familiar and comfortable, but maybe we've, we've lost some of that awe in some moments. But Father, both are true. We can be comfortable with your word. We can, we can tremble in awe your word. But mainly, Father, we, we just confess that you have an agenda this morning. We have ours, we set those aside, and we say, Lord, what do you want? What do you want right now from Philippians 1 and 2? Speak to us, but don't just speak to us, change us to be more like Jesus. And we pray this in your son's name, amen. If I were to describe a medical con condition called the silent killer, you would say it is what? High blood pressure. Right. Because you can have high blood pressure, you can have the condition, but no symptoms whatsoever. And you don't know that you have it unless you have it measured. But you don't feel anything, you don't display anything. But then high blood pressure, the silent killer, just all of a sudden, snap, catastrophic event of some kind. I believe there's a high blood pressure, a silent killer in the church today. Not necessarily in faith. Right? I'm, not, I'm not addressing anything in particular that I know about this church. This is the same message I've given to several churches and, and can give to any church. So please don't think I have an agenda here. But I do believe in the church in the U.S. and in the West in general, there's a high blood pressure, lurking silent killer. We're going to open up as we get into Philippians chapter 1. Paul writes Philippians from jail in Rome, and he, he says odd things from jail. He says stuff like, rejoice! And then, again, I say, rejoice! He says from prison. I've, I've even heard it taught the Philippians is that one letter that Paul wrote where he's not really addressing any kind of big problem in the church, and I think actually he is addressing a problem. In fact, go back with me to chapter 1, verse 15. Get a little context. Paul writes this. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ. Well, that sounds good even from envy and strife. But some are also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Yeah, there's a problem. And he's going to say you have the same problem in Philippi in just a minute. But there are people who are trying to create disunity among the believers, among the church. 
and they're using the gospel as a weapon to do so. People today could just take the Bible and say, well, the Bible backs me on this, the Bible says so, and they use it as a weapon to create disunity within the church. And that is the problem, one of the problems that Paul is addressing with the church in Philippi and other churches and other letters. Disunity. There are people trying to cause distress, people who claim to be Christians. Paul has an external opposition, people who put him in prison, but he has an internal pressure from people who claim the gospel and yet try to create this problem. And so this passage we're, we're going to go through is about this, true Christian unity. That's what Paul wants. In fact, let's read this part again, verse 27, and listen for how Paul is advocating for unity in the church. Only, verse 27, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, Either way, this is what I want. I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. That's what he wants. With one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer. For his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. You've got the same thing, Philippi. I want to see unity in you. So everything we're going to talk about today is about true Christian unity. That's this, this passage. Even though we're going to see some fantastic statements about Jesus, amazing statements about Jesus that could just preach on its own, but the topic is true Christian unity. And he starts with verse 27, only. Only get this. If you don't get anything else, get this. True Christian unity. And everything I'm about to say is about that topic. Only this. Because verse 28, there are those who are your opponents. The word opponent here is the word for stand against. There are people standing against the church in Philippi, people standing against Paul in prison in Rome. But what are they standing against in particular? What are they opposing in the church in Philippi? Is it because they have a disagreement on Caesar? Is that, is that the issue? Is it something political like that? Is, are, are there people in Philippi walking around with these red hats that say MRGA? Make Rome great again? Is that the problem? Are there people running around with t-shirts that say Samaritan lives matter and there's conflict? Is that the issue? No. He says, I want to see, verse 27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Last part of verse 27, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's the issue. The gospel is the issue. It is a spiritual opposition to the church. There are those outside who are creating spiritual opposition to the truth, and some even inside the church creating spiritual opposition to the pure gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. Our greatest spiritual opponent, of course, is Satan. There's the society who stands against the church, and maybe some inside who don't who only want to create trouble to use the gospel as a weapon. 
And these people who oppose the gospel of Jesus and therefore the church that promotes the gospel of Jesus, they don't need to come busting through the doors and tear the place apart. They don't need to do that. They would be thrilled, absolutely thrilled to see the church pull itself apart. Do all the hard work for them. They would just watch and say, that's fantastic. That's exactly what I want. I don't have to want them to die. I just want to see them pull themselves apart. Or to get so sidetracked that they make themselves conveniently irrelevant. They would be thrilled to see that. There are those who oppose the church of Jesus. But then Paul says, don't don't be alarmed by that. Yes, they're there. Don't be alarmed by that. And that word alarmed is the same word that's used to describe a horse when it's spooked and it bolts. Have you ever seen that happen? Don't do that, he says. Don't be alarmed. Don't be spooked. Don't bolt. Don't turn your back in, in disunity and leave the church or, or run away in fear. Of course there are going to be opponents to the Gospel. Don't let that alarm you. But because these opponents exist, verse 29, for you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me because there are opponents to the gospel of jesus christ we now have a choice to make and our choice is between either let's go to the next slide please disunity or striving together those are the two choices verse i think 27 he says i want to hear of you striving together if there were no opponents to the gospel, then we wouldn't have this choice to make because then we could have unity without struggling together. But there are oppositions to the gospel, and so we have a choice to make. Are you going to bolt like a horse and create disunity, or are you going to suffer together and strive together for the gospel? That's the choice we have to make. The choice the church in Philippi has to make. And, and the reason that I even have this topic is because I... I have never seen in my lifetime the church working so hard to pull itself apart. I have never seen the church working this hard to do that. And in fact, if you are sitting in the front row and your name is either JP or Ryan, would you please come up here? There happens to be two guys in the front row named JP and Ryan. How cool is that? All right, so you grab that in and you grab this in. All right. Don't get real burned. All right, so these, let's just say these are two believers in Christ and they're pulling together. That's too slack. Come on now, pull against. And because maybe, maybe the topic is politics. And one guy's pulling this way really hard. And one guy's pulling that way really hard. And there's tension in the church. Or maybe one thinks we should have masks and the other one says we shouldn't have masks. And so they pull against each other as brothers in Christ. You can do better than that. All right, there you go. <laughs> or maybe there's a vaccine. One's it for, one's against pull hard and so there's this tension that's building and it's like a silent killer it's high blood pressure and maybe one day snap catastrophic event and the, the church in general is doing a lot of that would you guys please sit down i'm going to call you two more times all right don't go anywhere all right thank you we thought we had unity before 2020 But then that happened, and then that happened, and then that happened. And we realized we didn't really have the unity we thought we had. What we had was uniformity. And that's not the same thing. 
And then it got exposed that we didn't even have uniformity, and we realized we don't have this thing called unity, as well as we thought we did. There's a lot of, a lot of positive here. I'm only focusing on the negative. And, and if, I, if I appear angry today, I'm not angry. I, I'm, I'm grieving over the church because I love the church. And if you don't believe this is happening, you're not on social media. It's there, Christian against Christian, and it just grieves my heart. I've never seen it like I've seen it today. And so the, the question I want to ask myself is, where am I tempted to pull horizontally against my brother or sister in Christ? Where am I tempted? It could be something different for you and for you and for you and for me, but there's something I think for everyone, I'm tempted at least, if not I'm fully engaged in, pulling horizontally against my brother in Christ, against my sister in Christ. What is it that I'm tempted to do? I need to examine myself and see where am I creating the tension and the high blood pressure in the church. But what really concerns me is these things that we're pulling horizontally against each other on. None of those things define the gospel. None of those things describe core doctrine. None of those things describe how a person is saved from their sin. Now, the gospel has something to say about all of those things, all those issues, but they're not the gospel. They don't define the gospel. They don't define how a person is saved. They don't define our doctrine that defines who we are and what we believe. And I'm, I'm not concerned so much about the opponents outside the church. I'm not. I'm aware of them. I want to know about them, but I'm not concerned about them. I'm not afraid of the big bad world out there because it is not the big bad world out there. It's the mission field out there is what that is. I'm not concerned about them. What I'm concerned about is the church pulling itself apart over not the gospel. Now, if, if the fight is going to be over the doctrine of the Trinity, put me in, coach. I'm in. I'm in for that one. You want to talk about the divinity and humanity of Christ, and you want to argue, oh, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and go to town on those, but these are things that are not the gospel. That's what concerns me, keeps me up at night. And we've got to choose between disunity and suffering together. What we're doing is we're drawing a, a circle and we say, well, how can, how can so-and-so be a Christian if blank? And whatever's in the blank doesn't define the gospel. And so we're drawing a circle about who is and isn't a Christian based on something that is not the gospel. And when you do that, you're creating a different gospel. Which in Galatians, Paul calls an anathema on a different gospel. And so if we're drawing in any way a different circle than the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we're now making other things the litmus test of what it means to be a Christian, then at best we're being judgmental, and at worst we're committing heresy. This is serious. The gospel's at stake here. Now, I, I am fully aware that there is fruit that comes from being in Christ, and you will know them by their fruit. And there are some things completely inconsistent with being in Christ. And without faith, without works, faith is dead, right? We get that. But really, is the test of Christianity your policy on masks? Is it? And it's not just Christian against Christian. Sometimes it's congregation against congregation. 
did you hear what whatever church across the, the town, what their policy is on masks? Can you believe it? I thought they were Christians. We laugh, but maybe we've done it. The gospel is at stake. What is the gospel? What is it not? So, how can we have true Christian unity? All right, guys, one more time. I don't know which one is JP, which one's Ryan. It doesn't matter to me. All right. I got you both. All right. So these two guys, believers in Christ, are pulling against each other, all right? How are they going to have true Christian unity? How are they going to get there? Are they going to have true Christian unity? Which one's JP? All right, JP. So imagine JP's stronger than Ryan, and he pulls hard enough to where he pulls Ryan across the line, and now they're on the same side of the issue. Do they now have true Christian unity? No, they have uniformity. So pulling horizontally won't do it. Why do we keep trying that? To get unity. Okay, all right, back, back to even. All right, so we have got tension, and, and so pulling horizontally harder is not going to do it. So maybe, maybe these guys realize, you know, politics is a really touchy issue. Let's just not talk about it. Let's just avoid it. Do they now have true Christian unity? No. They have hidden disunity. And I'm sorry, the church is really good at that because we're trying to be nice. We don't want to cause trouble. We want to preserve the unity of the church. Well, you don't have unity to preserve. All right, thanks, guys. One more time later. Good. Are we ever going to have true Christian unity by pulling harder horizontally? No. Are we ever going to get it by avoiding? No. But there is good news. What does the Bible say true Christian unity is? What is this thing that we're talking about? Verse 1, therefore. So all this stuff, you've got people who are uh, standing against you. You've got conflict and suffering. I want to hear about you being in unity. Therefore, this is important, Paul says, is there, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete. What would make Paul joyful in prison? Jesus. Jesus. All right, always a good answer. And he's right. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. That's what would make him happy. That's true Christian unity. One mind, one love, united in spirit, and one purpose. And that one purpose is not horizontal. That's not what they should have one mind about. But it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. If there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, make my joy complete. There's only one place we're going to find true Christian unity, and the answer is Jesus, right? It's in the, the good news, the gospel of Jesus. That's the only place. We're not going to find it by pulling one way or the other. If there's any consolation, any encouragement in Christ, that word encouragement is a word we use to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit at times. He's the comforter, the encourager, the advocate. It's that word. If there's any of that in Christ, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind. 
in the gospel, in the gospel alone. That's the only place we're going to find it. So if we're going to look for true Christian unity, we're going to look there, not here. All right, one more time, guys. One day, these guys are going to get along. All right, okay. All right, I just love that the people sit in the front row. That's fantastic. All right, so they're pulling against each other. Are they going to get true Christian unity by pulling harder? No. By avoiding? No. How they will have true Christian unity is not by pulling horizontally, but by pulling vertically. And as I pull up, look what happens to these two guys. Work with me. There you go. All right. And now, isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? You remember that passage about a holy kiss? You want to? No, no. <laughs> did they change their mind on the issue? They didn't have to. Do they now have some unity? Yes, by pulling vertically, not horizontally. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Give them a big hand for being good sports. <laughs> Hope you guys can get along sometime. Now, I wish I could stop right here. Nice, happy ending. These guys are getting along. We've got unity. Just cut the sermon right here, sing a song, have a great time. Except verse 3. The only way we're going to have true Christian unity is through true Christian humility. Verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. This is a hard pill to swallow about true Christian unity because I like being right. And when I'm right, I don't have a lot of humility in that moment. I have three older brothers. We like to argue. Three of us were in debate. We don't care if we even believe what we're saying. We like to argue and to be right. But we're going to have true Christian unity only through humility. And if I am pulling horizontally harder than I'm pulling vertically, I have selfish ambition. Verse 3. If I require you to agree with me before I have unity with you, then that's empty conceit. Verse 3. It takes humility. I, 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 I need to ask myself, will I require you to agree with me before I look out for your personal interests? Before I have unity with you? And JP and Ryan, even though they're, they're disagreeing about something, and JP's right. Can he look out for Ryan's best interests, even if they don't agree? That takes humility, not just uniformity. And that, those two verses could preach on their own about humility, but they're in a context. It's not just humility, it's humility for the sake of unity. Remember, everything in this passage is about achieving true Christian unity. So it's humility for the purpose of unity. And in fact, he's going to turn to Jesus as the illustration of it. Verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so now we're going to turn to Jesus as the example of humility to have true Christian unity. We're going to say some great things about Jesus, but he's just the illustration. 
Verse 6, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Fantastic statement about Jesus, a mind-blowing statement about Jesus. And again, you could preach a sermon just on this passage, but this passage is in the context of unity. So if Jesus is your illustration, and this statement about Jesus is your illustration, how important must your point be? If you're going to point to this about Jesus, this amazing thing about Jesus as the illustration, how important is the point you're making? And the point he's making is true Christian unity. And Jesus believes that true Christian unity is worth dying for. That's one of the reasons he went to the cross, not the only reason. But he died on the cross in part to make us one with each other, with himself, with the Father, to enjoy the fellowship that he has had with the Father from the beginning. But in fact, he only, not only did he die on the cross, but before that, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he died to himself. Lord, let this, cap, this, this cup pass from me, but not my will. Your will be done. He died to himself before he died on the cross. In part, so we could have this unity. That's the example. The unity that we want as Christians is worth dying for. Dying to self for. How much humility do we need to have true Christian unity to strive together? We have to die to self. We may say we want true Christian unity, but if we also don't include, and I'm willing to die to self to get it, then we don't really want true Christian unity, do we? Is there any other way? Is there any other way for us to have true Christian unity without dying to self? Is there any other way to do it? And the answer is no. It's the example that he turns to to say, this is the humility it requires. All right, so let's, let's, let's work this out. Let's use an example. Pastor Steve's not here, so we can do this. I'm, just, I'm going to take the, the pin out of a grenade, and I'm going to throw it in the middle of the room, see what happens. And you don't have to invite me back. <laughs> but let's take a volatile phrase that Christians are pulling against each other about and apply what we just learned. Can we do that? All right. The, 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 we're going to use the example of Black Lives Matter. Not the organization. Forget that for a sec. Just the phrase. One person's pulling this way. We should not use the phrase. Another pulling this way. We should use the phrase. All right. There's tension. And maybe you're feeling some of that right now. How do we take this principle that we just learned from Philippians and apply it to that issue that we can now apply to all kinds of issues? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to reject a lie that we've believed. The world says you've got to pull this way or you've got to pull that way. You've got two choices, pick a side, now pull, and we believe the lie that that's the two choices that we have. It's not true. Colossians 2.8, let's get that up there, please. See to it that there is no one who takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception in accordance with human tradition, in accordance with the elementary principles of the world rather than in accordance with Christ. 
a lot of these issues are just the debate of two human traditions, two human philosophies. Now again, the gospel has something to say, but if we believe that we've just got to pull one way or the other on this issue, we're buying into a human philosophy. So now what do we do? We said there's true Christian unity to be had. It's only found in Christ, in the gospel of Christ. So how do we then reject the lie that we have to pull horizontally, that we must, and how do we start looking at the gospel as the answer? If anyone tells my African-American neighbor two doors down that he matters less because he's black, what do I do? How do I respond to that? Because I like him, he's nice. What do we do? We've got to reject this lie, first of all. But we have to ask, what does the gospel say? How does the gospel apply here? If that's where the answer is, that, is that, our unity's there, what does the gospel actually say? The gospel says at least two things that matter here. One is the only way that anyone matters, the only way that anyone matters is that they are made in God's image. The gospel says this. That's why you matter. That's why anyone matters. The gospel also says that Jesus died for your sins, and now you really matter because Jesus did that for you. That's what gives you worth. Now, be careful. I'm not saying all lives matter because that's a horizontal position to take, to pull in, in one direction or the other. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the only way, according to the gospel, that anyone ever matters is because they're made in God's image and because Jesus died for their sin. That's it. That's my basis. So now when someone talks to my neighbor and says, you matter less, or treats him like he matters less because he's black, now that's a gospel issue. They violated the gospel. If anyone tells one of my daughters that she matters less because she's black, it's a gospel issue. And now I have a direction to pull vertically because it's the gospel where I'm going to find unity. I want to be able to look at my neighbor in the face and say, you matter because the gospel's true. I want to look at my daughters and say, you matter because the gospel is true. And now I can pull vertically. And I can achieve Christian unity over a volatile phrase without making you agree with me on whether we should or shouldn't actually use the phrase. Do you see? This is the only way we'll have true Christian unity is by pulling vertically with the humility of Jesus Christ who died on a cross. And I don't require you to agree with me in this, but we can still have one mind, one purpose. And the purpose is not politics. The purpose is not a phrase. The purpose is not how we respond to a pandemic. The purpose is Jesus. The answer was right. True Christian unity is ours when, one, we humble ourselves like Christ, two, we die to self, three, we reject the lie that we've got to pull horizontally, and four, when we pull vertically. And I think, my friends, we are stronger when we disagree on stuff. I think we're a better church when we disagree on stuff. We had a series of dinners between people from our church and people from an urban core church, mostly African-American, just d dinners and talking, and that was it. And one of the beautiful things that people from 
the burbs got to see from people from the urban core was people from the urban core don't agree on all these questions. There's not one black view on these issues. They disagree, but they have unity. We don't just need uniformity. We don't want that. We actually, I think we're better off. We have more unity when we actually disagree on stuff. This is what we have. The, the best example of true Christian unity I've ever had in my life was on a bus in Turkey and in Greece with people I'd been in class with all semester. We were on a bus together for a month. How much unity can come out of that bus after a month together? But it's beautiful because we looked out for each other's interests. We didn't agree on everything, but the most important thing was the gospel. It was beautiful. It's like, why, why can't I have in churches what I have on the bus in Turkey? It was worth it. Now, I can pull horizontally on some of these. I have an opinion on some of these things. I do have an opinion. I can pull horizontally. I'm allowed. But I'm not called by God to pull horizontally. I'm called by God to pull vertically. And it's not just my title. All of you in Christ here today, you are called by God to pull vertically. You are not called to pull horizontally. Let's do so. The, the title of the sermon is MT1, and I failed to explain this in the first service. People are wondering, well, what does that mean? We have to empty ourselves in order to have oneness. That's what that means. And all these unity passages in Scripture that I've been reading all my life, they've never meant more than they've met in the last two years. It's just amazing you read those and realize how important these passages actually are, because we need this. So we want to pull vertically. In fact, we're going to close with that. And to the last two verses, just notice how hard Paul is pulling vertically. Verse 9, For this reason also God highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and, that at, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is pulling vertically. Let's just do the same, shall we? Let's pray. Father, this is, this is not a, a comfortable passage for me and maybe for some of my friends here. I don't like to hear about humility and dying to self. I want to fight. And there are fights to be had and fights not to be had. But what you do want us to do is to struggle together and even suffer together to pull vertically because of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is true. And so, Father, I pray for your blessing on this church to pull vertically harder than ever before. Because at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That's our unity. And we pray for you to work mightily among us in Jesus' name. Amen.